Governor Ron DeSantis dropped out of the presidential race yesterday. I've got my a passionate analysis on that and uh, what the future might look like. Also, Moms for Liberty completely destroyed Joy Reid in a debate on MSNBC. Oh my gosh, you have to see this. It's amazing. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend, that you're having a great start to your week. Obviously, if you follow me on Instagram, you know we got a lot to talk about today. I'm missing the wild bun on top of my head and the um uh just the craziness with which and the fervor with which I spoke yesterday, but I do have a lot of uh important and passionate things to say today. And this is in regards to DeSantis dropping out of the presidential campaign. I've got a lot of opinions. I've got an analysis to give you. Before I get into my commentary, however, about it, I do just want to explain. I want to explain everything that's going on, kind of give you a state of the race as it is, look backwards just for a little bit, and then uh, look forward as we anticipate uh, what's going to happen in this crazy election year. Before we get into all of that, I have happy, lighthearted news, and that is we've got Valentine's merch, y'all. Valentine's merch in the Relatable store. If you are watching this on YouTube, look at our four cute shirts and look at our little totes. And you know what they say? You know what they say? It says self-love won't save you which is true, a message that we have been preaching for a long time on this show. So go to AllieMerch.com. I think you can still use code Allie10 for 10% off. Really cute Valentine's Day merch. I can't wait for mine to get in. These are all all comfort color shirts, by the way. Self-love won't save you because it won't. So we got the two totes and the four comfort color shirts and the one sticker for you at AllieMerch.com. Okay, let's get into this. So Governor Ron DeSantis, he ended his presidential campaign yesterday. Here is a short clip of his speech. Now, following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. Okay, so this came as a surprise to a lot of people who felt that after he came in second place in Iowa, that he was going to stick it out at least a little bit longer. But according to recent polling in New Hampshire, that primary is tomorrow, by the way. Trump is at 50 percent. Nikki Haley is at 39 percent. He might have seen that he was probably going to come in third place. Didn't want to do that. This is according to ABC News. DeSantis's decision to leave the race had been a subject of mounting speculation this weekend after he canceled high-profile scheduled appearances on Sunday morning um, on NBC and CNN, uh, a New Hampshire TV station as well, WMUR. However, DeSantis's campaign insisted amid this speculation that he was not about to bow out. Brian Griffin, the spokesperson for DeSantis's campaign, said the media hits were canceled due to a scheduling issue and will be rescheduled. The governor will be traveling Sunday morning with the campaign and has public events scheduled Sunday through Tuesday in New Hampshire. People are also pointing to DeSantis's remarks after the Iowa caucus uh, in which he said this is our responsibility to carry this torch and preserve the sacred fire of liberty. Don't run away from this responsibility. We welcome this responsibility. I can tell you this, DeSantis said, as the next president of the United States, I am going to get the job done for this country. I am not going to make any excuses, and I guarantee you this, I will not let you 
down. So understandably, a lot of people are disappointed. They are a little bit taken aback. Now, maybe some insiders uh, probably know exactly what went down. But I think a lot of people who have supported DeSantis for a long time are wondering, wait, what happened to the torch that you uh, were carrying? So in his statement, he also said this. He said, it's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watched his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance. And they see Democrats using lawfare to this day to attack him. While I have had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and the elevation of Anthony Fauci, Trump is superior to the current incumbent Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He said he has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. So he endorsed Ron DeSantis and then Trump had his own response to this. Trump released a statement saying, among other things, uh, that he is honored by the endorsement from Governor Ron DeSantis and so many other former presidential candidates. It's now time for all Republicans to rally behind President Trump to defeat crooked Joe Biden and end his disastrous pre- uh, presidency. Uh, he said that Haley is a candidate of globalists and Democrats. Um, he also had something to say about the nickname that he had given Ron DeSantis at one point. You'll remember he called him Ron DeSanctimonious. I saw some diehard MAGA supporters also call Ron DeSantis Rob, Rob DeSanctimonious. Very, very clever. And someone asked him about this at a campaign stop yesterday. Here's what Donald Trump had to say. Okay. He just said, will I be using the name Ron DeSanctimonious? I said, that name is officially retired. All right. So he moved he moved on. Now, keep in mind that Trump has made allegations against DeSantis, not just saying, wow, I want to beat this guy. I don't think that he is the best person for the job. But he literally accused DeSantis of grooming underage girls when he was a teacher many years ago. Of course, these were completely baseless allegations. But now don't worry. They are uh, on on the same team and he has retired any of his nicknames for Ron DeSantis. Um, All right. We've got some other things to say about that. I've got my own analysis, but let me pause. Let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day. And that is Seven Weeks Coffee. Seven Weeks Coffee is uh, their mission is to promote godly values, to provide excellent coffee and to protect every beating heart. The reason it's called Seven Weeks Coffee is because at Seven Weeks Gestation, that baby in the womb is the size of a coffee bean and made in the image of God, that little baby has value. So every purchase, every time you buy coffee at Seven Weeks Coffee, you are donating 10% of the sale to pregnancy care centers across the country. Thanks to amazing, generous people like you, Seven Weeks Coffee has already raised over $250,000 for pregnancy centers across the country. They're now supporting over 750 pro-life organizations. This is top-tier coffee. It's really good. We drink it in our home. Absolutely love it. And we just love the mission that they are on to try to save as many lives as possible. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Let your coffee serve a greater purpose. Use code Allie to save 10%. Sevenweekscoffee.com, code Allie. Okay, those of you who follow my Instagram stories know Uh, that I have a lot to say about this. And as I talked about, um, you know, how disappointed I was because I really supported DeSantis. I still support him as governor. I think that he's done such a great job. And I was excited about the prospect of him being president of the United States. And a lot of you said, wow, this is exactly how I feel. You're echoing my feelings and my reactions exactly. And so I wanted to give air to um, the perspective of someone who really supported DeSantis um, and his potential nomination because there's obviously a lot of us out there, especially suburban moms. And I will never venture to say that I am representative of all suburban moms, of all Republican women, um, of all Christian conservative women even, but there are thousands and thousands of us who feel the same way I do about 
um, all of that. And so I think it's important to try to represent that perspective as best as I can. And here's how we feel that DeSantis is, was a culture warrior. He fought back against the gender ideologues. He protected girls' sports. He stopped child genital mutilation in his state. He banned teaching kids about sex and gender switching in the classroom. He empowered parents to have a say over their kids' education. He did what Republicans are almost never willing to do, and that is stand up against corporations and not just any corporation, but one of the biggest companies in the entire world with the deepest pockets, and that is Disney. He took away their tax privileges when they dared to undermine the people of Florida by pledging to fight against the parental rights in education bill. And he won that battle. He won that battle. That is completely unprecedented for the classic traditional GOP politician. He signed a heartbeat bill, one of the most pro-life laws in the nation. He implemented programs to reduce fatherlessness and support cohesive families. He, more than any other governor that I could think of, actually pushed back against Fauci. He fought against the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates, not just arguing that the mandates are wrong, but also eventually he took the stance that the vaccine itself has risks. And to this day, very few Republicans will say that out loud. He shipped illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. What? Who else has the courage to do that besides Greg Abbott? What other Republican politician has had the gumption to do something like that. He rebuilt the state at an unprecedented speed after Hurricane Ian. He addressed the needs of his state then. He and his legislators accomplished an incredibly conservative agenda. He turned a purple state, not just red, but deep red, turning Republican areas that were once dark blue. He was, without a doubt, the more conservative choice when it comes to primary candidates. Now, I voted for Donald Trump twice. I know some people are going to say, oh, you never Trumper. I voted for Donald Trump twice. And I did everything that I could do to convince my demo, uh, the Christian suburban mom, to vote for him in 2020. I will still relentlessly say that Christians should never vote Democrat. But when it's between Trump and another more conservative option, I would not have voted Trump. Trump called DeSantis' heartbeat bill terrible. He said he wants more compromise. Uh, in that same NBC interview in September where he called his, uh, that heartbeat bill terrible, he said, quote, both sides are going to like me when it comes to abortion. And quote, people are starting to think of 15 weeks. 15 weeks, second trimester, when the baby would have to be dismembered to be aborted. 15 weeks. Trump could not give a straight answer when Megyn Kelly asked if a man can become a woman. Uh, DeSantis had Tom Askell to pray at his inauguration. Trump hoists up people like Kenneth Copeland and Paula White. And that might not matter to most of you, but it matters to me. It matters to people like me. Now, I know you do not have to tell me. Trump did good things. I know that. Things I am grateful for. He was the only sitting president ever to attend the March for Life. Amazing. His SCOTUS picks got us the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe. That is incredibly impactful. He helped forge peace deals in the Middle East. I mean, how many lives? were saved by those two things alone. His economy was booming. I know I speak for a lot of people when I say I miss that. So I understand. But some of these things are points in any Republican's favor, not in particular Trump. So Rubio or Cruz or even Chris Christie probably would have given us the same Supreme Court picks. They weren't chosen specifically by Trump. They were chosen by the conservative organizations who make these kinds of lists. Trump also, it's a concern I have, is that he surrounds himself very often with very bad people. And then he refuses to fire some of the bad people uh, like he did while he was president. Fauci, Christopher Ray, he could have gotten rid of them. He didn't. Trump didn't build the wall the way that he said that he was going to. He also signed the First Step Act, which was a soft on crime DEI bill, essentially. He has done little to nothing to help those who have been unfairly prosecuted for their peaceful involvement in January 6th. And also 
What headway has been made in stopping the steal, a movement for which he has raised hundreds of millions of dollars from the American people? What about his former attorneys like Jenna Ellis, who's now facing legal consequences for helping Trump in his effort to prove that 2020 was stolen? He demonizes everyone who does not show him his, uh, their full support, even if they were once on his team. Think about Kaylee McEnany. From what I know, a very lovely person. She was a great press secretary for him. Uh, she apparently committed the crime of reading on Fox News what was uh, the wrong poll numbers a few months ago. And so he said this about her on Truth Social. Kaylee Milktoast McEnany just gave out the wrong poll numbers on Fox News. The rhinos and the globalists can have her. Fox News should only use real stars, he says of his uh, former press Secretary, you also misspelled milk toast, by the way. Uh, that was a cartoon character in the 1920s. has nothing to do with actual milk. Anyway, uh, this is what he does. No matter how good someone was to him at one point, this is what he does. And again, just a reminder that he accused Ron DeSantis, based on nothing, of grooming underage girls when he was a teacher. I mean, that's a very serious allegation, but that's what happens when you go against Trump. Um, I know people have said about DeSantis that it wasn't his time, that he should have waited till 2028, they say, but that's not how it works. I respectfully disagree with that assessment. It was really now or never for DeSantis. He needed to strike iron while it was hot. It obviously didn't work out, but just waiting until 2028, it just wasn't a viable option. So I don't blame DeSantis at all for going for it. Um, and these same people also say that uh, DeSantis was a part of the establishment and they see Trump as some maverick but that it's that's just not reality trump was endorsed by almost every establishment republican that you can think of lindsey graham literally the most establishment republican is one of his closest advisors now i know for a fact that desantis upset the establishment because he showed everyone that it is a conservative to be aggressive that as a Republican, you do not have to sit back and let major corporations steamroll you in the name of helping the economy. You don't have to just sit there and let the public health establishment bully you. You can actually push back against them and people like that. You can still win elections by being aggressive in that way. Republicans have been saying for years that, oh, no, no, we can't go against these corporations. We can't go against their bureaucracy or else we'll lose elections, blah, blah, blah. DeSantis showed them that that's not true. That made the establishment very uncomfortable. Um, I also know for a fact that DeSantis went against the wishes of some of his biggest donors by opposing Disney and signing the heartbeat bill. They did not like that. He was urged to back down on these and he didn't because that he felt that it was the right thing to do. Now, I am not like Beth Moore. I don't indict the character of everyone who voted for Trump in the primary. And say, well, there's no valid reason to do so beyond uh, liking a bully and wanting someone who's verbally abusive. That's what she said on Twitter. And as I told her, that's not true. There are, of course, valid reasons that people have to vote for Trump in the primary, whether you agree with them or not. I happen to disagree with them. I don't think that you're bad or dumb or anything denigrating like that. I just don't agree with you. I think DeSantis gave us a better shot at 2024. And that is my biggest concern beyond anything else with Trump. I truly do not think that he can win in November. I, I don't think that he can rally the support. I don't think he can overcome the huge obstacles that will be placed in his way. I think that there's a good chance that he will be in prison, which would be absolutely awful for him and the country. It would be awful for the country. I think DeSantis could have won in the general. I don't think Trump can. Unfortunately, I will be happy to be proven wrong about that. I really will. But I truly, truly fear four more years of Biden. And I am just afraid that Trump will not be able to beat him. And even if Trump does beat him by some miracle, he will be a lame duck president from day one. Uh, because four years isn't enough to make the kind of change that we need. Almost everything 
in the last four years that he did, uh, by mostly executive order, has been reversed. Most, not all. Uh, plus, he wouldn't have his reelection as a motivator this time around. So that's another concern. That's another concern I have. Better than Biden? Definitely. As I said on Instagram, Honey Boo Boo would be better than Biden. Uh, the best pick that we had when it came to the primaries, in my opinion, no. I am also concerned about Trump's VP pick. Uh, it won't be DeSantis. Some are saying Nikki Haley. That'd be rough. A Trump-Haley ticket? I mean, she's too moderate for me on abortion, on gender ideology, fighting against corporatism. Also a bit too much of a war hawk for me. Uh, the only people who want that, I think, who want that ticket are some mega donor centrists. Some people are saying Vivek. Glenn Beck, whose insight I very much trust, says that everyone is telling Trump to choose Vivek. Personally, I don't know if that's the right choice. I really like some things Vivek has said, but does he have a consistent, prolonged record of upholding conservative values? I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Um, others are saying Elise Stefanik. Uh, she is a Republican congresswoman from New York. She was one of the only Republicans to vote yes for the 2019 version of the Equality Act, which is a radically progressive bill that would make it impossible to protect single-sex spaces. She also voted yes to the same-sex marriage bill in 2022. Uh, I, she's very much a moderate or has been for a long time. She was extremely critical of Trump, by the way, in 2015 and 2016. I'm not saying people can't change. It's just an interesting, it's an interesting choice. I'm just not sure what he would gain from that from that pick. Um, now, you know who would make me really happy? Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I really like Sarah Sanders, governor of Arkansas. She's a solid conservative. She's pro-Trump without being weird about it. You know what I mean? She's smart. She's articulate, cute family, seems down to earth. I know that Arkansas would be super sad to lose her, which I really understand. Um, and Trump doesn't need help winning Arkansas, but if he needed help with the suburban mom vote, which I think he will, then she could be a really good choice. I really like her. I would be excited to support her. Now, I've got more to say about uh, my demo, suburban women, and what I think it will take to vie for their vote to win their vote. And I'll give my take on that in just a second. Let me pause. Let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day. And that is Every Life. This is another amazing pro-life company that I'm so excited to tell you about. Unfortunately, a lot of the big diaper companies, uh, they support abortion. They donate to pro-abortion politicians, to pro-abortion organizations. Some of these companies actually cover the cost of their employees' abortions. It's really evil stuff. But if you get your diapers from Every Life, you don't have to worry about this. This is a pro-life diaper company. They make very high-quality, premium, high-performing diapers. They're made without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, anything like that. At everylife.com, you can can use promo code ALLY10. You'll get 10% off your first order today. Plus, you can support Every Life's mission with their Buy for a Cause bundle, supporting families in need of essential items such as diapers and wipes. Each Buy for a Cause bundle purchase is donated to partnering organizations like Live Action and Save the Storks. So make sure your diapers are pro-life. Go to everylife.com. Use promo code ALLY10. Everylife.com, code ALLY10. Suburban women, uh, we are a politically diverse bunch. We are. You've got liberals amongst us. You've got independents. You've got diehard Trumpists. And then you have a very large contingency of conservative Christian women whose vote needs to be earned. Now, for some conservative Christian women, Trump cannot earn their vote. Period. If you think I'm wrong, you just don't know. I'm sorry. You just don't know. The evangelical space is largely made up of women who are pretty theologically conservative and pretty politically conservative. Now, as I've talked about a lot, I think they can 
sometimes get manipulated by the empathy shaming of the left. And so sometimes they'll try to take like the center left position on things like immigration and abortion, thinking that it's compassionate when it's not. I mean, that's part of a huge reason why I even have this show to try to speak to those people. And many of them uh, will not vote for Trump, whether it's because of that, they think that he's not empathetic enough or they just don't like him or maybe they disagree with some of his policies. Now, I'm not saying whether they are right, but that's just the reality. You can roll your eyes. You can say, oh, my gosh, they're crazy. They're not really conservative. They don't support Trump. You can say all of that. I get it. But that doesn't change reality. They could have easily been convinced to vote for DeSantis, but they can't be convinced to vote for Trump. Okay, that's some of them. Then you've got others who did vote for him in 2016 and 2020, but now they're not sure. They're not sure because, A, they really liked DeSantis, they liked his policies and his personality, and they were comfortable with the fact that they didn't have to defend him constantly to their friends and their fellow congregants. Um, Or B, they kind of like RFK. Now, RFK is pro-choice. He said last August that he supports limiting abortion about uh, 15 weeks, sometime after the first trimester. Uh, That is similar, by the way, to what Trump has said, though. Uh, However, I will say that with RFK, his campaign after August has since backtracked on that statement that he gave saying, no, RFK supports a woman's right to choose. And the campaign did not specify any limits whatsoever that he would advocate for. So even though I think him and Trump probably personally are on the same page when it comes to uh, abortion, I do think that Trump, when it comes to Supreme Court picks and what policies he would actually vouch for, what bills he would sign, he is more likely to be pro-life than RFK than RFK would. However, for some women, and I would say in particular for some non Christian, politically independent suburban women, they would take RFK's position on abortion because they love his fight for medical freedom. They love his fight against pharmaceutical companies, and they're just tired of Trump. So all I'm saying is Trump is going to have to fight for the suburban woman's vote, the Christian woman's vote. Uh, I know, again, that Hardcore MAGA, they like to roll their eyes at that and say, oh, we don't need you. Y'all are just stupid. Oh, but you do. Oh, but you do need this demographic. I mean, there are some truly deranged and depraved Trump apologists online, many of them who believe (laughs) that he's just going to suddenly come up with all of these new voters, all of these new populist voters, but it's probably not going to happen. You still need evangelical women. You're still, you're just going to have to fight for their vote. That's all I'm saying. And Trump will get a lot of them. Like the abortion issue alone is a dividing line for a lot of women, rightly so, but some of them just won't be motivated to vote this time around like they were last time. They just won't be as excited this go-round. You can berate them all you want. You can call them names. That's not going to change anything, okay? DeSantis would have been, in my opinion, a better, easier pick. But look, let's just be honest. Like, the DeSantis campaign was not as good as it could have been. It had so much potential. It did not meet that potential in a lot of ways. I think they thought that they would be able to ride his popularity as governor, but it just didn't work. Here are my views about the campaign for whatever they're worth. Uh, He waited too long to announce. Uh, The announcement of his campaign was awful. It was awful. Uh, They never overcame that. He was not put in enough adversarial situations throughout his campaign. Um, And he's best when he is adversarial against the press, against Democrats. Uh, His best moments were against Gavin Newsom in that debate. That's where he shines. He was perfect in that debate. He was so good. He is not at his best when he is walking through crowds, talking to voters. He is not at his best in casual conversations. He wasn't at his best during the Republican debates. Uh, Even though he did have some really strong moments there, um, there's just, I think, a discomfort and an awkwardness in those situations that 
can sometimes translate into weakness. Uh, He is at his best, at his strongest, I think, when he is combative. It's what we have all really liked about him. Now, personally, I did not mind the awkwardness. Like, I will take an awkward but effective conservative leader all day long. Trump, on the other hand, is not awkward at all. He is extremely dynamic, extremely charismatic. You see it in his interviews. You see it in town halls. You see it when he walks into a UFC fight. And that shouldn't matter when it comes to whom we vote for, but it does. It does. Because appearance matters. Charisma matters. It's mattered since Kennedy v. Nixon. It matters today. To be fair, though, even the most charismatic person in the world probably would have lost to Trump because it's Trump. Trump on the Republican side is just impossible to run against and indicted Trump even more so. If you look at the graph, at this graph of uh, the popularity of the Republican t- contenders, Trump, DeSantis, Haley, Ramaswamy, uh, from January of last year to now, Trump's popularity has only increased since last year, bumping up every time he was indicted. You can see that if you're watching on YouTube, a bump in March of last year when he was indicted in New York continues to go up throughout the summer, June, July, August, when he's receiving indictments in Florida and Georgia. So you see that. And then you see DeSantis, on the other hand, was very competitive with Trump in the polls until March of last year. Then Trump got indicted. Later, DeSantis launched his campaign, which was a flop, and his numbers just kept on dropping. So that's where we are. Um, Trump is the presumptive nominee. We'll see how long Haley lasts. I've got some theories about that. It is interesting now to think back on her comments last week after Iowa when she said it was now a two-person race, even though she came in third. Everyone was kind of scratching their heads, wondering what the heck she was talking about at the time. But now we're all wondering, okay, what did she know then? Um, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, like, I also wonder what transpired between Iowa and now DeSantis made it seem after Iowa that he was in it for the long haul. And, uh, his, his team told Fox business on Sunday morning that he wasn't dropping out. And then he did, he did on Sunday. And there's always more than meets the eye in these situations. We may never know what we do know. It's going to be a crazy year, y'all. It's going to be a crazy year. We know that we can expect the unexpected. And here's what we know for sure is that God is still totally sovereign. He's still completely good. Remember Daniel 2.21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And then Hebrews 13.8, what I always fall back on is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. If God wants to use Trump, he will use him. So we should pray for him as we are instructed to pray for all of our leaders, for wisdom, for discernment, for compassion, for understanding, for the desire to know and to glorify God. Uh, Let us pray for God's mercy on our nation, for his unmerited favor. May he help us. May he protect us. May he give strength to his people, to God's people. During this chaotic time, that's the most that we can hope for. That's what we should pray for. And um, other than that, we really don't know. We really don't know what's going to happen. But there is absolutely power in prayer. And God is going to bring himself glory. That is something that we can rely on. We can rely on his goodness. We can rely on his faithfulness. We can rely on his trustworthy character no matter what. So we're, we're hope maxing and prayer maxing in 2024. We're not doom maxing as a lot of people will be, but I just kind of wanted to give you my feelings and my assessment, uh, take it for what it's worth. And as I've said many times, we are not going to be constantly in the politics and the numbers and in the polls this year, but we will be talking about these things and why they're important. Politics matters. Uh, Politics matter because policy matters because people matter. Politics affects policy. Policy affects people. And we as Christians know better than anyone else that people made in the image of God 
matter. And so this election matters. I know it's very tempting for us to just look at the chaos and confusion of the moment and to just want to hide from it all and to just pretend like it's not happening, to uh, close the blinds in our home metaphorically and to pretend like the craziness going on in the world isn't really happening. But look, this craziness affects people. Like children are on the line, lives are on the line, bodies are on the line, livelihoods are on the line. Freedom is on the line in many ways. And even though politics, they're not the number one way, the primary way that we can love our neighbor, Uh, They are a way to love our neighbor. They're an important way to love our neighbor because the policies that are implemented affect them. They affect especially the most vulnerable. And so while we were not made as finite, fallible people to carry the weight of the world, to know everything that was going on at once, to have empathy and compassion for every single person in every single dire circumstance in the world, only God has the capacity to do that. Uh, We still have to do what we can to take responsibility for what's happening in our communities, in our nation, and uh, use the resources that God has given us, the tools that God has given us. Uh, in order to make better the tiny spot of earth on which God has providentially placed us, the tiny speck of eternity in which he has uh, specifically put us for his glory and the good of others. That's all we can do. And that involves doing what? The next right thing in faith with excellence and for the glory of God. And that is going to look different uh, according to the individual, according to uh, what life stage you're in, what season you're in, what responsibility Uh, responsibilities he has given you, what resources and tools he has given you, but that's all any of us can ever do. And this year doesn't change that. An election year doesn't change that. That is always the calling of God's people. All right, we've got a few more things to say. Let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day, and that is Good Ranchers. All right, you guys know I love Good Ranchers so much. They've got an awesome deal going on right now. So if you subscribe to any box of meat, that means that uh, their all-American meat will show up on your front porch, on dry ice every month. You'll get uh, the kind of chicken that you want, pre-marinated, non-pre-marinated, different cuts of steak, ground beef. That's what we use the most. Also, with that subscription right now, you will get over two pounds of free pre-trimmed, better-than-organic chicken breast added to your order. That's like $189 value of chicken added to your order when you subscribe. Plus, when you use my code Allie, uh, you will save $20. You'll get $20 off your first order. We have a freezer full of Good Ranchers meat. It just gives us a lot of security, makes life so much easier and healthier too. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout for that discount. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. Okay, I also wanted to talk about the story that happened over the weekend. So Joy Reid of MSNBC, we have the privilege of uh, talking about her analysis kind of consistently on Relatable, actually. She's a recurring star. And uh, she is a host on MSNBC. And you know what? I'll give her credit for doing this. She had Moms for Liberty co-founder Tiffany Justice on the show to debate book banning. Now, I'm sure she had her on because she thought, Joy Reid probably thought she was going to absolutely dominate this conversation and make Tiffany look stupid. But if you know Tiffany, if you've talked to her at all, as I have, you know that that uh, would be impossible to do because she is a very smart woman, a very adept woman. She knows her stuff. That's why she started Moms for Liberty. That's why it's taken off uh, because she represents the concerns, the thoughts, the feelings of so many parents across the country who do not want books about gender switching, sex and sexuality in their school libraries. I know such a radical position and Moms for Liberty is so relentlessly attacked and lied about by the left. I mean, you know, they're called every name in the book, Nazis, fascists. They're asked, why do you get to control what my kids read in school when really they are just advocating for parental involvement, the right of parental involvement? in school curriculum, in the books that are made available to children. And there, you know, you'll hear that it's book banning and all of this stuff. No one is banning the books. There have always been restrictions on what kind of books go into school libraries. You think Mein Kampf is available in school libraries? Do you think it's okay 
if parents say, ah, I don't really want that in the library. But for some reason, it's just a bridge too far when parents say, I don't think that I want my sixth grader to have access to a book about, I don't know, anal sex. I know, just crazy, radical extremist position. So here is Tiffany from Moms for Liberty uh, making her case to Joy Reid on MSNBC over the weekend. I want to give you just no some, hold, on, hold on a second. Well, no, Joy, but I want to be clear. Uh-huh. No one's banning books. Write the book, print the book, publish the book, put the book in the public library, sell the book, right? Uh, we're talking about a public school library. Mm-hmm. Children don't have unfettered access to the internet at school. Mm-hmm. I did a, a FOIA records request, and, and, and I wanted to see what kinds of internet sites are banned mm-hmm. in schools, if we're going to talk about banning, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the subject matter in the books that moms are concerned about are the same things that kids don't have access to on the internet. So it, it just feels very hypocritical, right? No, why is no one out there protesting for, you know, free the internet in schools? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a totally legit point. Of course, there is some content that is going to be restricted uh, when it comes to schools because we understand and have always understood that kids, as their minds are developing, they're so impressionable that it is very important that we filter what kind of pictures and what kind of depictions um, they have access to, of course. But I mean, the nefarious and and scary thing is, is that the people who are putting uh, the kind of books that talk about gay sex and pedophilia and all kinds of sexual themes, that they want these kids in their most impressionable and formative years to be imbibing this kind of depravity. They want them to. They want these ideas in their heads. They want these kids to be sexualized. Now, I'm not saying that uh, Joy Reid wants these things. I think that she is probably, to borrow a phrase, a useful idiot when it comes to this stuff. Uh, But I think absolutely the activists, the progressives, do want these kids to be sexualized at a young age. And that is why they want these books in school. Now, Joy Reid rebuts, tries to rebut Tiffany by saying, oh, parents are targeting books um, by by taking things out of context. That's always that's always their retort. They're taking things out of context. There's nothing wrong with, for example, the book that uh, Joy Reid is is holding up in this segment. All boys aren't blue. This is just uh, an inclusive LGBTQ book. Well, here's what uh, Tiffany has to say about that. What is the expertise that you have and other Moms for Liberty advocates have to decide that a book, an award-winning book like All Boys Aren't Blue isn't appropriate for students to read? What What is your expertise? What a tragic story of a young man who's annually raped by his adult family member. So you Mm -hmm. have incest, rape, pedophilia. In what context is a strap-on dildo acceptable for public school? Just, I mean, that's my question Mm -hmm. to you. Tell me what the context (laughs) around the strap on dildo or the rape of a minor child by a teacher. Hold on a second. No, no, no. no. no wait, We're talking on. about no, public no, no. school. One, one moment. All right. Yeah. Yeah, Joy. Tell me. Tell me. I would like all of you out there who are opposed to what Moms for Liberty is doing and who says, oh, they're just Nazi fascists. I, tell me. Tell me, in what context do you think that's acceptable for an elementary schooler, middle schooler, heck, even a high schooler at school Uh, to be reading, to have access to. Why do you think that's appropriate? Why do you want that kind of context or that kind of content uh, in school? Like, why do you want kids to be reading about anal rape? Why do you want kids to be reading about the sexual assault of a child? And like, there's a whole other segment that we could do about that common thread when it comes to adults who are sexually confused and confused about their gender, the sexual abuse that they endured at a young at a young age. And they will they'll make comments like, oh, well, this is representation. You'll remember that I had a mom on who went viral for reading a very disturbing passage um, that was in her eighth graders book. 
or that uh, her eighth grader had access to um, in their middle school library. She read a very disturbing and sexual passage uh, out of this book at a school board meeting. Of course, she was shut down because the content was inappropriate and yet was made available to children. And the excuse that she got from the Texas school district, a conservative area in Texas, was that this is representation. We need to represent kids who are molested in their books, what re-traumatized them. We need to represent pedophilia. We need to represent gender switching and sexual confusion and depravity. Depravity? No, we don't. No, we don't. That is a sick and sorry and wicked excuse. Good job, Tiffany. Good job, Moms for Liberty. You totally dominated this debate because Joy Reid, per usual, had no idea what she was talking about, and their position is completely indefensible. Anyone who I, I'm talking about, any uh, large uh, influential account who says that, oh, banning books, these are book banners, these are such scary people who want to ban books and it's so fascist and Nazi like and whatever. Anyone who says that, I want you to ask them directly, why do you think depictions of the anal rape of children need to be in public school libraries? Give your response, please. That's, that's what you should be asking these people who are decrying the book banning from Moms for Liberty. So I know it's very, very disgusting and disturbing to even say things like that. But if kids are able to read it in public school libraries, we have to be able to say it. We have to be able to call it out. And shame on Joy Reid and anyone else, especially any other mom that goes to bat for this kind of content being in public schools. It is sick. It is disgusting. May God have mercy on your soul. Now, I've got one other just like point to make that I made on Twitter about why conservatives so consistently win. So, I mean, shamefully for the left, why they so consistently dominate these kinds of debates. And it's it's a principle that you see time and time again when it comes to liberals and conservatives debating these issues. And I'll get to that in a second. Let me tell you about our last sponsor for the day. And that is Birch Gold. So as we've talked about today, uh, there is uh, 2024 is just going to be insane. There's a lot that we can't expect. And you just want to make sure that your savings are protected as much as possible. So consider diversifying with gold from Birch Gold Group. For decades, gold has been the choice of investors and central banks to hedge against inflation. Now you can own it in a tax sheltered IRA with the help of Birch Gold. All you have to do is text Ally to 989-898. They will send you a no obligation free free info kit on gold. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you want to learn more about diversifying your savings into gold, just get their info kit. They'll answer all of your questions. And it's a very popular company. They've got thousands of five-star reviews, A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. So text Allie to 989-898. Text Allie to 989-898. Okay. Conservatives almost always, almost almost always beat leftists in debates because of a few things. Number one, left-wing journalists greatly overestimate their own intelligence and greatly underestimate conservatives' intelligence. Hollywood depictions of stupid Southerners and sophisticated metropolitan progressives fuel this delusion that they have. Most of them, I know some people are going to say this is rude, it's just the truth, most of them are simply not smart, okay? They've got degrees, but they are, quite frankly, midwits. You can call that rude, but it is true. Number two, uh, they mistake their ability to repeat poetic talking points as understanding of an issue. They don't know the details, typically. They don't really know the facts of what they're talking about. They are completely unaware of the other side's argument. Like, they do not know that the other side actually has a coherent argument. So most of them have no real grasp of the issues at hand because they have never had to. Their rewards uh, that they have garnered in their academic and professional careers have been earned not by their skill or by their knowledge, but by their ability to convincingly echo their party's platform. Number three, they're typically not skilled debaters because, again, they have never had to be. They've never had to be. Uh, they have been told that any opposition to their progressive positions is just hillbilly hogwash that shouldn't even be dignified with consideration. Conservatives, on the other hand, we are more likely to understand the issues at hand. 
and to know the fact of each story that we're discussing because we are in the minority. And so we see the progressive position represented everywhere. So we are constantly in a state of defensiveness, constantly formulating arguments for why the majority opinion on a particular issue is wrong. So debate comes more naturally to us. We know their arguments better than they do. Plus, it is always better to be underestimated than overestimated. Also, just an aside, like my personal advice on that is to use that to your advantage. Use being underestimated to your advantage. Always over-prepare uh, for any debates that you might be having or any conversations that you might be having. Uh, I remember a few years ago, y'all probably remember this, I brought a professor on uh, to debate school curriculum. He said that like criticizing school curriculum for being too sexual was an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, which is just insane. And so I invited him on the show and I was actually nervous. Like I was nervous. All of the all of his followers and my replies were like, oh yeah, he's going to put you in your place and he's going to make you feel so stupid. Yeah, you're the one to take her down a notch, whatever. And so I was actually kind of nervous and I kind of regretted <laughs> inviting him on the show. I mean, he's a professor. Uh, and then I had him on. Oh my goodness. I was shook. I was so shocked when his only response to me laying out my side was, uh, well, uh, well, uh, well, uh, well, <laughs> for 10 minutes. And I didn't even say anything groundbreaking. I just prepared. I assumed that he was going to know more than me. And he assumed that I was going to know less than him. And it was the opposite. It was the opposite. And I've watched this happen a thousand times. And I think it's good. Continue to overprepare. Never think that you are going to be smarter than your opponent. Always assume that they are going to be smarter than you. But liberals do the opposite. They assume that the conservative they're going against is stupid. And then when they end up actually knowing more than they do, they just freeze. So lib journalists and academics and activists, uh, they're, they're always stunned. They're always stunned by their own inability to defend their positions when a knowledgeable conservative confronts them. But they have no incentive, unfortunately. They have no incentive to change their minds and every incentive to continue empty-headedly repeating what they have been told. But the debates still matter, okay? The debates still matter because there is a large contingency, contingency of normies uh, that can still be swayed by reason. Um, so all that to say, great job, Moms for Liberty. Great job, Tiffany. Um, we have to keep having these conversations, keep having these debates, keep knowing our stuff and keep presenting things as they are. I don't know if that's going to help us win the election in 2024, but uh, we got to try our darndest because the truth matters. And again, truth, policies, curriculum, um, and uh news stories, headlines, all these things matter. They affect real people in real lives. All right. That's all we've got time for today. We will see you back here tomorrow.